Welcome everybody to the Healing Place Podcast. This is your host, Terry Welbrock, and just wanted to take a second to thank you for being here and a part of this healing space, for liking, sharing, commenting on videos, and uh, yes, just helping this show continue to grow. Had our best month ever in October, so excited about that. Almost doubled September's downloads, um, which is just incredible. And the show's been on the air for over four years, four years and three months. Started in July of 2017. And last month's downloads accounted for over 11% of total downloads over all of that time. So it just, just absolutely blossomed. And I have you to thank for it. Um, so many people saying, hey, I was talking about the Healing Place podcast and told this friend to listen in. Or, hey, I have somebody who's experiencing some severe grief and so um, yes can you tell me what show to they need to listen to so it's just been wonderful and I just wanted to say thank you um, again a reminder to go to academy.terrywalbrock.com tell folks I have online courses and coaching available thanks now for the show Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and I am just so very thrilled to have with me today Amy Erickson, and she is a filmmaker, director, trauma survivor, and social impact artist and communicator, and oh my gosh, she's here to talk about her, her film release and so much more, so welcome, Amy. Hi, Terry. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, again, I'm just, we've had a great chat. We had a little intro chat uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was just just such a beautiful, I felt that soul sister connection right away. And uh, yeah, and every time we chat, I just feel like we connect a little bit more on something and get each other. So, <laughs> Right. Me too. Me too. I feel like I need to jump on a plane and come down there and hug you. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know you're just such a beautiful soul, and I just Aww. I feel blessed that we've our our paths have crossed. So likewise, likewise. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah. So talk to people about um, what you're doing in the world. I have just finished. Um, well, in 2020, I finished the documentary Visceral, uh, which is um, about people who have been living with the impact of post traumatic stress in their lives and. Um, it's basically a story of four individuals that are similar to me and my story, and it's about their journeys from moving from being stuck, living with rage and isolation and uh, suicidal thoughts to moving forward in their lives um, after they begin performing on stage or when they continue performing on stage. And they're able to um, really heal relationships and find a path forward. And want, they want to live again. And that's exactly where I was uh, when I started making the film. Yes. Well, I've seen it. And man, did it have an impact on me. I, I messaged you afterwards and just uh, I think I wrote a review for you as well. And just I I, I cried through the whole thing. But, but in such a beautiful, powerful, soul-touching way. I mean, it really, really touched me on a, on a deep level. Um, yeah, it, it's just very, it's very powerful, but so filled with hope and inspiration. That's the beautiful part. Yes, you follow these people who, and they share their story and their struggles, but it's the hope part that, oh, 
just beautiful. Oh man, I get the chills when I hear that because <laughs> that's, like I said, it was just my story, and that is my my message with the film is there is hope. Um, we don't have to live these lives of you know isolation, which has really been on my mind a lot lately, or disconnection from family or loved ones, or you know in constant distress. You know, I talk about um, this film being about people in post-traumatic stress, but really it, what it is is post-traumatic distress. And um, it's about the shame that we carry about our you know, inability to, you know, not be well or um, not find a way to overcome trauma. And when we disconnect and we don't want to tell people, you know, what's really going on, um, it gets it's sort of like the dark hole that just surrounds us and we carry it with us everywhere. Um, so yeah. Oh <laughs> gosh, have I lived that? And I'm telling you when I, I finally started sharing my truths uh, in my trauma in my forties and putting it out on social media. And it just, once it started flowing, it was just like, blah, like I was just putting it out there. And the majority of people were just, so um, accepting and and compassionate about it. And even some, many of them reached out to me privately and said, oh my gosh, me too. I've never told anybody, blah, blah, blah. And how many trauma survivors never told anybody. But there were those select few who were like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk about it. We don't, we put our blinders on. We pretend that life is amazing and we don't want to know about all that. Yes. Yeah. And that's what keeps us shut down. So in the um, in the sense of we don't want to share with people because we're already vulnerable and we are already in so much pain, you know, and you know, living with, in my case, the early childhood attachment wound was just so profound. And so we don't want to tell people that because, you know, it's another um, sort of label of there's something wrong with me. But um, I find that, you know, when we are able to connect with people and tell our story, that's a first step. And then there's also the piece of how do we move it? How do we use what we know is happening in our body to move it out? Um, so, you know, I've always wanted to tell my story and I, I never knew what it was until I was in my early fifties. And that's when I started to make the film. Yeah. Do you want to share any part of your, your personal story of triumph? Sure. Sure. Um, well, by the time I reached 49, I was um, just, I had decided I did not want to numb my feelings anymore. I, you know, the first half of my life in my 20s and 30s, I was numbing it and self medicating with drugs and alcohol. And then later in my second half, it was antidepressants that kept everything tapped down, you know. So this, you know, history that I had with early childhood um, insecure attachment was playing out in my life in every way, shape, or form. And my body was crying out to, you know, for me to listen, but I didn't. And I used the drugs and alcohol to self-soothe. And then I used um, antidepressants to keep things in check. So I could try to have relationships with people without that constant pull of, I need you to give me more. I need more secure attachment. I, I didn't even know what those things were actually. 
And it wasn't until I learned about ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences in my um, early 50s, that I went, oh, that's what's going on. But in the sa- at the same time, I, um, I was a grant writer and I was working with an organization that um, places foster children in um, new families. And I was learning about attachment and attachment theory and attachment disorder. And it was like all of a sudden the the lights went on in my head and I realized, you know, I think this is me. You know, it's not about the labels that all the therapists over the years were trying to put on me of, you know, bipolar or what, you know, any of those d- diagnoses, right. they didn't quite fit because... I knew there was something very primary wrong. And it was basically, as I was in a child, an infant, not having those attachment bonding needs met by my mother. And, you know, when you're an infant, you don't have the ability to make sense of your world and put words on it. All you know is that if your mother, and, you know, in this case, it was my mother, isn't able to give you look at you and she's nursing or feeding you speak to you and, you know, gentle, you know, cooing, calming, um, uh, words and a voice and, you know, be playful and make you feel safe and calm your nervous system as a baby. That's what you, your body learns and your brain will always be on high alarm or high alert for, those needs not ever being properly met. And um, so I spent my entire adult life, you know, trying to form attachments in a way that I felt safe. And I really never did. And I um, used all the tools to self-soothe over the years. And uh, it's, it's a, for me right now, when I look at what's going on in the world around post-traumatic distress and trauma. I really feel that that is where so many people's primary wounds are. And um, I don't talk about that in this documentary because for me, it's part two. The documentary is like one day I stepped on stage at age 40 and it was the only time I could remember feeling joy in my life. Wow. And yeah, and I'm going to lose it here, I think, because um, I had so much inside of me that I needed to express it was not uh, acceptable. And these were emotions that, you know, were in my body that apparently when I was a child had wanted to express too and was always um, shamed into, uh, you know, don't talk, we don't want to hear from you. But more than anything, it's here I was this little child crying out for love and support from my mother and she was cold and dismissive and actually would turn her back on me and walk away. And it, that kind of pain, when you're a baby, you don't know to make sense of that. You don't know to say, you don't have words for it. So you just internalize it. Yeah. So powerful. I'm really glad you're touching upon the subject because we, we, we just haven't talked about it before. Um, And it, it is such a, powerful. My mom was very distant because of her addictions and her alcohol and and drug abuse. However, I had a grandmother that lived in our, in our house who was, I mean, my mom, now that my mom is sober and doing wonderfully, she'll say, you know, your second mommy, grandma kitty. And so I had that almost like that, that 
replacement mom who was incredibly attentive and affectionate. But yeah, I just, as you speak and talk about these things, there's a little parts of me, probably not as profound, but, and I love that you touched upon the impact of that, even from infancy and how it impacts our brains, the wiring, the chemicals, and so much. And until we address that, we aren't going to be able to create those new pathways that brain plasticity changes. Right. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because the, you know, in terms of aha moments during those times after I finally got back on stage and then in my early 50s, um, all of my relationships were very um, troubled and dysfunctional until I met my current husband, not to say it's perfect, but we had worked through together. In fact, I have my favorite book, which is by Sue Johnson, Hold Me Tight. Here we go. Uh, we worked through things together. We went to therapy because um, his daughter was did not care for me. <laughs> so oh. that was so difficult. But the therapist asked about my child upbringing and immediately said, no wonder you are depressed or having outbursts of rage. And we went through what happened when I was raised by my mother. And um, she said, you know, you can't heal your brain. There is such a thing as neuroplasticity. Well, I didn't know that because all the research I had done on attachment disorder was kind of pointing toward you are in a fix, your brain is in a fixed structure. Thanks to what we have available in terms of, um, imaging of the brain, we know that's not true. And so I found my way to Dan, Dr. Dan Siegel and the mindful brain. And it changed my life because he started talking about attachment and attunement and regulation and um, interpersonal neurobiology. All these things were like, yes, wow, you know, the research geek in me was off and running. <laughs> and so I had to look at that in my life and um, started learning more about, you know, John Bowlby's work and um, on attachment theory and also what we know about toxic stress in the brain from the research around adverse childhood experiences. And, and so I had quite a few ACEs going on too. Um, I had two parents who both had post-traumatic stress from their upbringing, plus a father who was a veteran. And it, so these were people who did everything they could, my parents, to give us a stable life. We always looked good, which was kind of my, you know, I don't know what you'd call that. It's sort of the mask I wore was, you know, I'm going to look really good. So you won't think there's anything wrong with me. <laughs> and my mother was really promoted that. So, you know, I just like to point out that, you know, they didn't, you know, my mother was, it did suffer from depression and rage and she was physically, um, she did harm me physically. Oh. Um, and so that is something I also carried forward in my life. The beauty of my childhood, though, is my father and he was the person, he was that one person who I bonded with and had that co-regulation um, with him. He was my calming person. Um, but unfortunately, he was not emotionally equipped to handle what became in my adolescent years, you know, the the impact or the output of 
of, of the trauma in my body, which was, you know, me abusing drugs, me trying to commit suicide, um, my sister having mental health issues. And so on the surface, we looked great, but it, we were a mess. And, um, I want to, before I forget to mention, uh, I want to talk about uh, Dr. Uh, Gabor Mate's film, The Wisdom of Trauma. And it was, it's going to air again next week, which I don't know when this will air, but um, the film really points out why we are living in a time in our world where there are so many people suffering from anxiety. And he talks about early childhood attachment. He describes what the body does and what the nervous system does. So our nervous systems are the piece of us that we just kind of ignore as we go through our days, but we are constantly taking in the um, external world, our experiences, those experiences live in our body for our entire lives. They change our DNA. And if we don't look back at why we have this anxiety, what attachment needs did we not have met when we were very young? I think our anxiety problems are not going to go away for, especially for young people, because there was a time when parents were taught, don't pick your child up when they're crying. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So I've just said a lot there, but yeah. <laughs> no, and I'm enthralled by it all because I, I relate to it and, and I'm a research geek as well. And I've read all that. And you sent me the link, I think, for the film. Um, yeah, so I watched that and it, again, very powerful. I'm currently reading, uh, well, actually listening through Audible, um, uh, the Bruce Perry, Oprah Winfrey book on ACEs that they, uh, I think it's what happened to you. Um, very powerful. And I was, I was listening to it, sitting in my meditation spot, looking out over the water on Hilton Head Island and, oh my gosh, anybody walking by again, tears just streaming down my face because as a trauma survivor, when you hear these things and you're validated, somebody, science is finally catching up to this, that you aren't creating these things in your head. It's not imaginary. It's that this, the responses, like the body responses. I just remember back in the eighties, uh, after the second bank robbery, and I had had a pan, a severe panic attack and ended up in the hospital. And I remember at the time, now it was the eighties, the late eighties, trauma wasn't even on the scene. Like they didn't even think about it. They just said, you're having something called a panic attack. You've manifested it. It's all in your head. You live with it. And that, that's what I was told. And so I just remember feeling so lost because well, what do you mean I've made this, like I made this happen? <laughs> what? Yeah. Right. So I'm just so glad that science is and like, you know, Dr. Mate and so many people are, are doing the work to finally help us trauma survivors understand the body, mind, brain impact of trauma. Yeah. And I was about to mention along the lines of, you know, our, what our bodies store and, and what they do. So my body was, re, you know, really revolting saying, listen to me in my twenties, I had bleeding episodes and fibromyalgia. And then in my thirties, I ended up with, um, uh, chronic fatigue. I had endometriosis and then fibromyalgia, then chronic fatigue, all these chronic things that, you know, I, I looked great on the outside, <laughs> but inside where, you know, I'm bleeding, I'm sick, I can't eat anything. Those kind of things that my body was saying, you're not 
taking care of what I'm trying. You're not dealing with what I'm trying to tell you. But outside, I was in my first marriage, married to someone who said, you know, just get over it. Yeah, or yeah. My, my siblings were like, there's something wrong with you. And and they just didn't know what to do with me. And, you know, you know, and I think about it back then, I was difficult to be around and, you know, extremely reactive because I was in a constant state of, of fear of rejection and the fear of loss of connection, which is the number one thing that trauma survivors um, struggle with. You know, it's the kind of push me, pull me. Yes. <laughs> I want you, I want you, but don't hurt me. I got to put a wall up. I got to protect myself. And what happened for me was when I finally started getting on stage and being in the presence of other people in a, um, in a way that I was really feeling the joy, feeling the expression, feeling accepted for that, and also engaging with others in a socially healthy way. So, you know, Dr. Stephen Porges has, a, you know, the so social engagement system, the way he describes it is when we are able to look at each other, voice something with each other, hear something with each other, our social engagement system, which is part of our um our uh, vagal nervous system, we actually begin to feel safer in the presence of others. It's a containment of sorts. So when I made the film, it wasn't about here are the steps to heal from trauma. It's more about here's a way to find a way to be safely connected with others in a way that helps you also learn about a role and, you know, acting is almost a way to learn about what means to be human. Um, and then there's the whole movement piece. So moving in sync with others and the idea of relational reciprocity is something that happens when you're on stage with others. And, you know, the people in my film are not professional actors and I'm not either, but we've all found this thing that makes us want to feel alive or that makes us feel alive and makes us want to continue living. We want to continue acting because it is such a life-giving, vital thing for us. Yeah. You know, I talked to you so much about the impact of the film on me and the different people that you focused on. Um, and as you talked about the movement part of it, that scene came into my mind of uh, the the female veteran soldier who had lost her daughter um and that scene where oh so powerful on the stage and she had the person with her like in the moving and it was it was almost like a dance and oh my gosh again it just tears were falling because it was so powerful and wasn't even so much what she was saying although she what she was saying was very powerful but it was just that just the way they they moved like a like um again, like a dance, like a ballet together. It was uh, just beautiful. It, it, you know, actually the dance is two and a half minutes long and I've wanted to someday show that in its entirety because then it tells the whole story. And, you know, I, for me, um, movement is the key thing for healing and um, being able to express what's inside of me through movement and then bringing my voice along um, is just, it's everything for me. And some people that's not, you know, what they want to do. Some people, they find writing more, you know, expressive, um, but whatever it is, 
that can bring your body and mind together in a way that you're drawing out those sensations. You know, I, people talk about making sense of what happened to you. Well, you have to, in my opinion, bring the senses along, <laughs> bring the yeah. body along. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, find, yeah. What's coming up for you. And um, so I love the movement in the world about uh, around the uh, somatic therapy and any you know body based therapies that are happening more you read more and more about like um, tapping for example and yeah that EFT so, right yeah that's keep right and crossing I body. use that yeah. yeah absolutely I always feel like a monkey <laughs> doing under the arm yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh, and you know they. The movie, the film is not about all of us all of a sudden healing. It's about the process that we now are able to turn toward um, each other in a healing way in relationships. So not pushing people away, but actually coming back together and engaging with our key relationships that can help us heal. And so I, I mentioned my husband and he's the one that purchased the Sue Johnson book, Hold Me Tight, which I didn't know anything about. And um, together, we've tried to continually, as the Gottmans talk about, turn toward each other because um, he, you know, I am able, my emotional vocabulary was much greater than his. So I could help him identify what was coming up for him that he didn't recognize either. And so that is the beauty of some of the stories in my documentary is that these people are now turning toward people in their lives instead of putting up a barrier with rage or turning away in isolation. Yes. Well, I told you, I told you twice since we've in our conversations that we've had that one of the characters, John or not character, I, I always keep wanting to say that I think because it was a movie, but he's so John, one of the people that you focus on in this movie and follow or feature. Um, oh my gosh. It didn't, again, I, I was so just so related to him and it's exactly for that reason is just watching him transition and reach this beautiful place. And I'm not going to talk about the scene because I, I don't want to spoil it for people because they all need to watch the film. Everyone listening, you need to watch the film. I'm <laughs> telling you. Um, but it was just that aha moment near the end. And I I was snub crying because it just it just clicked with me in such a profound way. And what you and I had talked about was you asked me, you know, why do you think it was him? What was it about his story? And I said, and I, I think I had an aha moment, right? Just prior to us recording of uh, my biggest fear that I discovered in EMDR therapy was fear of abandonment. And um, it certainly had some triggers dating back to my, you know, coming from my childhood, my relationship with my mother at the time. And um, yeah, so when you finally reach that place where that fear no longer has that grip on you, that death grip, and you're able to do the healing work and release it. And, and the other thing you mentioned was, you know, being with your senses, learning to be comfortable with those scary feelings and those difficult feelings and being okay with it. Because as little kids, as little infants, as little children, we don't, we're, we don't know what to do with that scary stuff and those hard feelings. But when we learn to do it as adults, oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Well, I just, I really believe what's happening right now with what you just talked about with little kids being comfortable with their feelings 
there's so much going on that's positive, you know, mindful schools and um, social emotional learning. And of course, all the work that's been done around ACEs and the, um, you know, the PACEs, the positive ACEs network and that connection that, I mean, there, I feel that's the hope that we have for the coming generations is that we don't all have to live in a state of fear that our nervous system is constantly on, you know, 24 hour surveillance of the next thing that's going to harm us. Um, you know, because truth, the world is pretty scary and that's my hope and that people listen to what's happening in their body and that they can work with young people to help them listen and identify what's coming up for them and, and name it. Yeah. Um, you know, we, who, who even knew how to do that when we were growing up. Right. Well, that's what, and I love that you said that. I mean, what a beautiful, hopeful, positive spin on it because um, yeah, giving children voice. I I never had a voice. I wasn't allowed to have a voice. (laughs) Otherwise I'd be like, Whoa, don't hit me dad. Um, Yeah. And so, Oh, I love the idea of giving kids. I've certainly did it with my three. Um, because I think it's so empowering for children who then grow up as to young adults and then adults feeling like their voice matters and they can talk about those feelings and what, what's happening in them. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just, when you said that about your dad, I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm hearing this. It's the same for me, but it was my mother. And, um, you know, I, I just feel like I, I, I never had kids. I, I, that was the reason I didn't have kids is because of my fear of, of not being able to manage what I didn't even know was part of my, my being at the time. You know, I just knew my rage was out of control or my depression was out of control. And there was no, you know, like Dr. Dan Siegel, he talks about the window of tolerance where we have this place where we're, you know, okay, where we flow through life and, you know, our nervous system is fairly calm. We're not overreactive, but we're heightened, you know, interest or, you know, our things are, are, are positive in a way that we're curious about the world. Um, but if we become hyper aroused, we're pushed out of that and, um, you know, fear takes over or if fear takes over and depression is our natural state, we go into that hyper, um, hyper, hypo arousal, excuse me. But, um, those are things I never even imagined. I didn't know even 12 years ago, I didn't know about these things. So for me, the making of the documentary was really a healing journey for me. Um, but I'll just, yeah, (laughs) I can only imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, follow, would you follow five, five people? four people and interviewed many more, but it was a process of finding out, you know, the the genesis of the film was, you know, the one day I realized that talk therapy was just not working. I was having the same, telling the same stories, which is what we do with trauma. You know, we've created a narrative about the, what we think has happened and what we think is going on. And I'd go to therapy and I'd tell the story over and over again, and it was just not helping and I just thought to myself, I have to do something different. And I was in bed one night listening to Krista Tippett interview Bessel van der Kolk. And he talked about, um, this is my first time I heard of him, 
children who have trauma histories and the, how they grow up having a multitude of chronic health issues and poor health. Mm-hmm. And I literally bolted up in bed and went, that's me, you know? And, um, I said, I want to meet him. And so I went to uh, Kripalu, which is a yoga retreat center in, um, the Berkshires and spent a, a couple of days studying movement and trauma with him and, learning about the body and the brain. And I said, you know, I had, oh, and I read his book before I went there. His book has a whole chapter on theater as a way to help um, people heal trauma among many other modalities. But he, um, Shakespeare is one of the things he really promotes. And of course that's in my documentary too, because there's a lot of physiological things that happen that tie to, um, your brain and your body when you're doing Shakespeare. But I, when I met him, I said, I have this idea to do this documentary. And he said, you know, great. I'd be happy to be interviewed. Well, that was the beginning. And he was kind enough to help me walk through the learning um, process as was Gabor Mate and uh, Dr. Stephen Porges. They all helped me understand neurophysiologically what's going on in our system, in our entire system, when we have a um, trauma history or experience trauma in our history. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and thanks for introducing me to Dr. Stephen Porges because he is going to join me on the show. So yay. (laughs) I think in August. Yeah. So (laughs) I can't wait. I'm just for you anyway, because, um, I just love the polyvagal theory and what's yeah. happening with that movement in which I won't go into because I'm sure he'll talk about it. But, you know, he has people in the polyvagal Institute like uh, Deb Dana, um, who who's um, got quite a few different things going on. But she talks about befriending your nervous system. And they both together talk about, you know, regulation, safety, trust and connection and um, and how these can play out in interpersonal relationships. And I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Trying to have relationships that make you feel like you want to live. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yes. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Well, I could sit here and talk to you for, yeah, I told you these, this was going to take on such a beautiful life of its own and, oh my gosh, it's just been wonderful. <laughs> so is there anything else that you wanted to tap upon, you know, touch upon that, uh, we haven't had an opportunity to talk about yet. Um, I, I do have this acronym that I like to use when I talk about trauma and how to heal and, um, it's create and it's, so the word C or the letter C, um, touches on connection versus isolation. I have to always look at my notes on this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, regulation. So regulation so that relationships can be healthy. So co-regulation and reciprocity and then engagement. So I do talk a lot about the social engagement system when I talk with other people about you know what actually is happening in our bodies. And I know uh, Dr. Porges talks about that quite a bit. So you, he might touch on that. Um, and then awareness. So awareness of our triggers. And that's the turning point. And um, that's been my turning point is what's happening in our body. What is what do we need to be aware of? And then accessing support and like going back to therapy. So it's important for me to mention that 
I really believe in processing what's happening, not mm -hmm. just giving up on talk therapy. It's super important to continue with a trusted therapist. And then transformation, which is, you know, what are we transforming? Where are we going from here? What is it that you want to be different in your life? And then embracing life, the final E is, uh, I want to live. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that acronym. And it's, it's so perfect because it is that beautiful flow along the healing journey. And uh, yeah, one thing you mentioned was therapy and I just wanted to add a, yeah, a big star next to that because I found my way onto the healing path in 2013 after 25 years of panic attack, but I had done talk therapy and all kinds of stuff prior and then gave up on it. But then when I found my way back onto it, and I just want to express to people that I know I talk about EMDR therapy a lot, but some people consider that, I don't know the right words, but like almost like an invasive because I, I went back into all the traumas. I had to go back into the darkness, but there's so many other ones like you talked about somatic uh, healing, and there's just an array of options available um, tapping you know, if you find a wonderful EFT practitioner, you don't have to go back into the traumas. You don't have to relive them, revisit them. You can just be here in the now and what's occurring and what's coming up, what's happening in your body and then tap on it and release it that way. So, yeah. Yeah. And there was one other thing, and I do have to pay tribute to someone who, honestly, I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for him. His name is Dr. Ed Walker. He was a um, he's still, a, I mean, he's retired from the University of Washington medical um, system. He was the director there. And he was a therapist when I was, my therapist, when I was in my early twenties, when I was having the bleeding and, and he basically said, you know, your body is a barometer. It's telling you something. And the bleeding is obviously telling you something. And, um, he supported me in a way that helped. It was the foundation for me to be able to get, you know, move forward in life. And I always go back. I even went back and I said, I made a film. I want you to see it. And he Aww. watched it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it is again, oh my gosh, it's so, it's so powerful. And so, um, oh my gosh, what's the word? Like validating when you have someone that is willing to sit with you and figure out solutions and just honor where you are on your on your because we're all on our own individual journeys and um, to have somebody like that. So I'm really glad he was there for you. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Yeah, beautiful. All right. So how do people watch the film? How do they find you? Well, the film is available in two places. Um, through my website, which is capacityforgood.com, capacity and the number four in the word good. And you can either purchase um, an individual stream or you can, um, if you're an institution or a library, purchase an institutional license. Um, there's a link there. It's available through Alexander Street Films. And um, so there's the you know individual or institution and for me, anybody who wants to reach out, um, they can find me on Facebook at Visceral Documentary. They can find me at capacityforgood at gmail.com. Um, and I'm going to be adding some new resources to my website, too, uh, that I you know, want people to just take a look at. Um, and so I think those are the best ways. Um, I, I would love to hear people's thoughts on the film. I will say I haven't been in a real active 
um, outreach phase this past week because I'm starting my next documentary. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, cool. but this has been a blessing, Terry, and I am going to come and meet you someday. Oh, yes. Please, please do. I so look forward to it. And yeah, and it's just been a gift for you to be here and to share your insights in this film. Again, I can't, I can't say it enough, just what a beautiful um, impact it had on me on a heart and soul level. And um, yeah, everyone, you need to watch the film. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Amy. All right. Well, everyone, please, uh, Until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself and thank you for joining us today. All right, bye-bye. Hey everybody, Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywelbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywelbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope strategies. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.